Uh, it's my privilege to get to be with you here today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jamie. I am the worship and missions pastor here at the church, and I'm excited to get to open God's Word with you today, but I've got to be honest, I felt like I needed to make a confession before we got started here. Uh, anybody else get one of these in the mail over the last few weeks? Amazon's Holiday Kids gift book. The title this year, Share the Adventure. And I just want to say, if the adventure is watching your beautiful, wonderful, sweet little kids turn into greedy little monsters, it's absolutely an adventure, okay? Uh, I appreciate, you know, the clever marketing and all that kind of thing. And actually, to be honest, if anything, I blame Pastor Steve and Tammy for this because a year ago... They came up to my kids and they said, hey, we're trying to get you gifts for Christmas. Why don't you just take this catalog and start circling what you want? Now, it says on here over 600 toys and gifts. I'm pretty sure my kids circled all of them. All right. They're just excited. They're like, this is great. Wonderful. So this year we're going along. Everything's going great. My kids are just being wonderful. And we did not catch that this was a gift toy catalog in the mail. And all of a sudden, there's all this arguing. There's all this bickering. There's all this whining and wanting. And mommy, daddy, can I please have this thing that I've known about for 20 seconds? It looks amazing. And, you know, they're just, it's amazing how quickly their little spirits could change, right? And that brings me to the confession, because it took probably two weeks for us to get this thing out of our kid's hand, and then Walmart sends one. And I got home from work one day, and I come in, and I'm hearing all this just fighting and dissension, and my kids are literally like pushing each other out of the way, trying to circle the things that they want, and I'd had enough. So I took that catalog, this is real, and I ripped it in half. I start tearing it up into little pieces. I'm like, we are not going to be about stuff in this family. My kids' eyes are this big, right? They've never seen Dad act this way before. But the truth is, is that my kids, they're human. And when stuff gets in the way, they become very consumed with it very quickly. And I would love to tell you that they get that from their mom. But my wife is a very frugal, very wonderful lady, and it all comes from me. I was the kid with the Sears catalog who was circling all the things, who was asking his grandmother to buy him the video game and the console that goes with it to play it on. That was me. When I got to college, and just to show you how, how studious my wife is, she decided she was going to try to do college in three years instead of four to save money. I was like, hey, I'll do it in four years. I'm going to get a job, and all that money is going to go towards my ever-growing video game collection. This is going to be great. She's studying for finals. I'm studying how to beat Rock Band 2, right? Like, that was my philosophy of life. And so I had to laugh because Steve asked me a long time ago, hey, would you be willing the last week in October to preach a message? And I was like, sure, that's great, absolutely. And we're getting close, and I go, and I'm looking up the passage, and I'm like... Are you serious? I'm the person, Lord, that you want to be pre preaching a message on contentment and being free of the love of money? The truth is, I need the Lord work, to work in my heart in this area. God's been working on me all week. It's been really good for me. 
And there are some of you here today that struggle with contentment. They struggle with being free from the love of money. And so today, I don't stand up here, and not that I ever do this, but certainly not today that I would stand up here and say, hey, I'm just preaching the word of God. You go work this out on your own. We're all working this out together. Because there are so many things in this life that take our eyes off of Jesus, that put them on ourselves, and destroy our contentment in him. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, being content in Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Now as you're turning there, I just want to make sure we're all approaching this passage from the same place, same assumptions, same perspective, okay? If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then you and I are called to have Christ-like character. My purpose, my mission, why I am here on this earth is not to make myself famous, to not, not so that people would know me and think that I'm great and that I'm amazing. I am on this earth to make the name of Jesus famous, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who haven't heard it, the good news that changed my life. That's why I'm here. I'm here to build up the church. I'm here to serve my king. That's why I'm here. And so when we think about passages like Romans chapter 12, where Paul's writing about being a living sacrifice, it is on that one hand, yes, taking my life and saying, God, here it is. What do you want me to do? But it is also being willing to be honest to say, hey, when my character, when my life does not line up with Jesus, I'm the one that has to change. My heart, my life is the thing that must be conformed to Christ. Paul said, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. My life, all that I am, is God's. And that includes how I process, how I think, and how I live in this life. The author of Hebrews presented a similar idea to his audience in Hebrews chapter 12. Steve called this the linchpin of the entire book, and I have to agree with him. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now as we come to Hebrews chapter 13, our author is beginning to give us some prescriptive examples of what it looks like. Hey, your eyes are fixed on Jesus. If you're throwing off the sin that so easily entangles, if you're living with Christ-like character, here are some things that you should be doing. Verse 1. Love the brethren. Verse 2, show hospitality. Verse 3, remember the prisoners and the downtrodden. Verse 4, we talked about this last week. Whether you're single or married, if you're in Christ, honor the institution of marriage that God has given us. 
And now in verse 5, the author of Hebrews begins to talk to his audience about money and contentment. Take a look at what he says. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Not that your character has a little love of money, a modicum, a, 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 a tiny amount. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? The author of Hebrews in this passage is giving his audience both a warning and an encouragement. So I want to start today with the warning. And the warning's this. The warning is that the love of money is a hindrance to Christ-like character. The love of money is a hindrance to Christ-like character. Take a look again at verse 5. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. The author of Hebrews is giving a strong and sweeping statement. If you are in Christ, your character, your life ought to be free from the love of money. Now, I hope you know this and I hope you understand it, but let me say it just in case. Money in and of itself is not evil. It's not wrong. Stuff is not wrong, okay? These are inanimate objects that do not feel. Money is paper. It is coin. It is a digital number on a screen. It's not the problem. The problem is when for you and I, money and stuff becomes that all-consuming thing that is driving our focus away from the Lord. And I know that when we talk about this idea of money, of the love of money, it's really easy to come to church and to want to deflect, to be defensive, to put the guard up, to say things like, oh, that's not me. I don't have that. That's not. But here's the truth. If you and I want to grow in our Christ-like character, if we want to become more like Jesus, it means that when we read Scripture, whether we think we've got it together or not, we've got to be willing to be open and honest and to let the light of God's Word shine down in our hearts. And if there's something there that doesn't fit, we've got to be willing to change. When you think about this idea of love of money, we think about greed, the desire for money. The New King James translates the idea as covetousness, which I find to be a very New King James way of saying it. Covetousness, right? But for me, when I think of that idea of coveting, it starts to drive the idea home a little bit more. Because when I think about coveting, I'm talking about yearning or possessing to have. And maybe I don't feel like in my own heart that, oh yeah, I'm always constantly thinking about money or the love of money or how much of the green stuff do I actually have. But I certainly struggle sometimes with how much stuff I have. And we live in a culture that makes it easy for us to think that we should be able to have anything that we want. If you want it, you are entitled, you should be able to have that stuff. I didn't know that I needed an iPhone 14 until I started seeing all the commercials every 30 seconds, and LeBron James is standing up there and telling me I need an iPhone 14. LeBron, I wouldn't have believed it, but you said it, and I know it to be true, right? My iPhone 13, I thought it was good. It's, I now realize it's garbage. I got to get rid of it. 
I need the iPhone 14. That's what everybody's got. That's what all the cool kids have, right? We live in a world and a society that says, if you want a nicer house, just go get it. If you want a nicer car, just get whatever you want. In fact, it's been kind of funny because this week is like a huge week in my neighborhood because it's Halloween decoration contest week, right? This is the week when the, the HOA is going to drive around, is going to give out award prizes, money, whatever, to the house that is best decorated. I have no idea how much my neighbors have spent on trying to make their houses look better than the person next to them, but there's one person whose house can just change color at will. He just presses a button and it's blue now, right? Like, it's incredible the amount of money that people spend so that other people will look at them and think that they are something. It's been really interesting, too, with all these COVID and shipping issues and all the shortages that have been going on. It's really brought out this entitlement, I feel like, in people. Um, there's been some stuff that's been hard to get in the last couple years that's really important for people to have. There's also been quite a few things that people have been incredibly angry about on the Internet that don't matter at all. People getting upset because they're unable to get their $600 shoes whenever they want to get their $600 shoes to show off to their friends or to keep in the box and put on a walk, right? People who wanted to get the latest, greatest video game console and there's a chip shortage, so they're just losing their ever-loving minds because they can't play video games at the highest fidelity known to humankind. But it highlights the point. When we allow our desire for stuff, the money to buy that stuff, to become our prevailing focus, we're hindering our ability to have Christ-like character. Because the love of money, covetousness, is a never-ending, all-consuming, selfish pursuit. When my eyes are fixed on Jesus, I'm running for him in my life. I'm asking questions like, what, is, what does Jesus want me to do in this situation? Where does Jesus want me to go to work? How does he want me to talk to this person? How should I be engaging with this person right now? When I start thinking about all the things that I want and don't have and trying to scheme ways for myself to get them, do you know where my eyes just went? It went to me. And suddenly now I'm the one making all the decisions in my life, and I'm not seeking the Lord. There's no room for the Lord. It's about me. The love of money is a hindrance to Christ-like character. And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of Christians in America today that are so focused on having that they're missing out on the joy of the Lord. It's interesting. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think that phrase, pierced themselves with many griefs, is very interesting. I've been studying a lot of passages about the love of money. and I almost feel like there's this unique anxiety that comes when we're consumed with having stuff. Because we're spending so much time processing, well, how am I going to get this? And how's this thing going to work? And how am I going to take care of this? And, and we're trying to fit it all in, and we're spending all of our time kind of processing it. 
it's almost like we're creating stress and worry for ourselves that doesn't need to be there. Like if our focus was on Jesus, that anxiety wouldn't need to be there. In fact, it's interesting, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself kind of speaks to that effect. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. you got to choose God or wealth. What's it going to be? You can't serve both. But then he goes on. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat and what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, do not let wealth be your master. It will cause you to worry about your life, and it keeps your eyes off of God. Instead, serve God. And that really is the solution to the problem. If the warning is not to be a lover of money, then the encouragement, the answer to the problem, is to be content in Jesus. The encouragement that we're being brought today is to be content in Jesus. You know, it's kind of fun. On, on Sunday nights, we've been having a, a children's choir here at the church. My kids are participating in it. And for me, it's brought back all these old nostalgic feelings. Believe it or not, I know you probably can't tell just from looking at me, I was in a children's choir growing up, all right? I, I've been there. I've done that. Uh, I don't think I added much to the choir, but I was there, and I had fun. One of the things, though, I will say I really appreciate about children's choirs and was great for me was we're learning all these songs and they just teach you these incredible truths as a kid and when you're older you think about it right like we sang this song that I'm pretty sure was about 1990s computers called input output and the idea of the song was whatever you put into your mind is going to impact what comes out of you right we know that that's a biblical idea but what I liked about that truth was it really emphasized the fact that it's not just about trying to take out the bad things that you're putting into your mind. It's about putting something good there in its place. If you want to see it change your life, you've got to replace the bad thing with the Jesus thing, with the good thing. And I think that's where we struggle sometimes with this idea of love of money is that we try so hard just to not be a lover of money and we don't ever think about what we're replacing those thoughts and those ideas with in our own heart and mind. The writer of Hebrews is being very clear. You and I are supposed to be free from the love of money and instead to be content in Jesus. Take a look at our passage again. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'll never desert you nor will I forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The word for content in this passage means to be sufficient or adequate for a particular purpose, with the implication of being satisfied, to be sufficient, to be adequate, to be enough. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about having enough and being sufficient and being satisfied, I think that just flies in the face of everything that our culture tells us. 
Every commercial that we see, the conversations that we have with our non-Christian friends, a lot of times even just the way we think in our own mind, that idea that, hey, I am good, I have enough, I am satisfied, I am sufficient. It's revolutionary. But think about it. This passage is not saying that Getting new things is wrong. It's not saying that luxury purchases are wrong or having lots of money is wrong. It's saying that my joy and my happiness should never be tied to whether or not I have money or stuff. As a believer, my contentment is not found in earthly things. It's found in Jesus. My soul has to be satisfied in Christ. All that I am, all the things that I do must be satisfied and content in Christ. And if Jesus is where my soul finds satisfaction, then every other good gift that I receive in this life is just icing on the cake. Think about it. If my house isn't as nice as I'd like for it to be, but I have Jesus, I have enough. If my Traeger that I've been preparing for weeks now when it comes time on thanksgiving if it dies out and i'm bringing an undercooked turkey to thanksgiving dinner if i have jesus i have enough and if for some reason one day i have to sell all the things that i have in order to take care of my family if i have jesus i have enough and jesus is enough he's all that we need I think about the heart of Paul when he's writing to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, right? Here's Paul. He's sitting in a jail cell. He's being very transparent. I might be dead after I write this. I don't know. Coin flip, toss up. It could go either way. And if it was me and I'm sitting in a jail cell and I'm thinking I might be about to die, I would think this is a great time to complain. This is my opportunity to be discontent. If I'm going to get one, this is it. That's not Paul's heart at all. Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your, your concern for me, church at Philippi. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be, here's that word again, content, in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. What's the secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, look, it doesn't matter if I'm in prison, if I'm in squalor, if I'm in luxury, if I'm in middle class. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can hear the parallel between Paul's words and our passage in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says that because Jesus is with us, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? It almost sounds like the author of Hebrews is boasting. If Jesus is my helper, then I've got no reason to fear. World, if you want to come and take everything that I have, if I have to go through the most difficult season of my life, if Jesus is with me, I'm good. I have enough because Jesus is enough. Nothing this world throws at us can ever surpass the joy of knowing Jesus 
in our lives. I got to be honest with you, you know, growing up, I was around missionaries a lot because uh, we had a lot of missionaries that came in and out of our church. And my grandparents have them in their home and see, spend time with them. And I really struggled with the idea of being a missionary as a kid. Yeah, I've been very open about my lack of contentment issues. When you think about what it costs to be a missionary, that was really hard for me as like a 10-year-old to process. I liked my house. You're a missionary. You're not guaranteed you're going to get to go live in a nice house. I wasn't sure if I was okay with that. I like living by family. If you're a missionary, you may or may not get to live close to your family. I wasn't sure if I was okay with that. I grew up in Arizona. AC is very important in Arizona. If I'm a missionary, I don't know if I'm going to get to go somewhere that has air conditioning. I don't know if I'm okay with that. I have to share the gospel a lot and be rejected a lot. I'm not sure if I'm okay with that. And as I've grown up and the Lord has worked in my heart, one of the things that's been really interesting is now as the missions pastor, I get to talk to missionaries all the time. And yeah, there are missionaries that are going through really hard, difficult things. But the funny thing is, whenever you talk to them, it seems like the conversation is always just about the goodness of God. How God provides for their needs, how he takes care of them, how he is sufficient, how, yeah, this thing is hard, but God's good. God's going to see us through. And it's because for them, Jesus is enough. Do you want to know the other thing I've learned about missionaries being a missions pastor? Is that their call and my call are the same thing. Their call may be to go tell people about Jesus and to live for him and to be sufficient in him and to do all those things in him and some other part of the world. But my call is to do those things right here, to be sufficient in Christ, to tell the world the good news of Jesus with all I am, to live for his glory. That's what I'm called to do. And so if I'm walking through this life and I'm going through a difficult season, Jesus is still enough for me. I can be content in him. And as I've thought about it more and more, I've got to be honest with you, I don't think there's any place where we would want our ultimate contentment and sufficiency to be. Because here's the thing. Jesus is eternal. Jesus will never forsake us. The end of verse 5. He says, he'll never desert you nor forsake you. Got to be honest with you, the things that we tend to get so focused on in this life, moth and rust is coming for them. That TV that I was so excited about, that I really pushed so hard to get, and all this stuff is going to be in a dump one day. Those houses on my street that they're spending so much time trying to make sure it looks so amazing, there's coming a day where somebody's going to drive past that thing and say, what a dump. Because the things of this world do not last. They're on their way out. But Jesus Christ is eternal. He'll never forsake us. He'll never lead us. And for you, if you are a believer in Jesus, there is no place that you can go where Jesus can't find you. There is no situation you can get yourself into, no pain you can experience that Jesus doesn't care about. Even when you step away and you start breaking relationships and doing all that stuff that we are sometimes prone to do in our wandering. If everybody else was to leave you, Jesus is waiting with open arms because he loves you 
and he'll never forsake you. I was thinking about Psalm 23. David's writing at a difficult time in his life. But I love the perspective that he shows us in Psalm 23 because even though he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, all he can help but do is rejoice in God's presence. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you, the Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God, even if you want me to sit down for a long meal with people that I don't really like and they don't particularly like me, if you're there, I'm good. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an amazing blessing for us as believers. To know that our joy, our satisfaction, our sufficiency are not found in the things of this world. They're found in Jesus. The eternal king, the great high priest, our friend and helper, he is always with us. And our call is to fix our eyes on him and to run and to serve him with our lives. So with that in mind, I want to kind of bring it all together today, and I want to ask a question of you all. What does it look like for us to be content in Jesus? And I was processing through that this week. I, I got to be honest with you. I think there's a level to which each one of us that's here today, if we're in Christ, has to answer this question on our own right? I've been very transparent, very open about myself, right? Like, the part of this for me is when the holiday shopping season comes in a month, is that going to be my all-consuming thinking, or am I going to be content in Jesus? For some of you here, that may not be your thing. You're fine with the stuff you have, but if you're being honest, you are not content in Jesus. Maybe your contentment's found in a relationship, Maybe it's found in your job, your work situation. I, I don't know. But whatever that thing is for you, I, I want you to be thinking about it and asking that question, how can I be content in Jesus? How can I do this with my life? How can I be content in my Savior? A couple diagnostic questions to help you process that question in your life. And again, you've got to answer them honestly. If you don't answer them honestly, there's not much point in doing it. First question is this. Honestly, what drives you? Maybe another way to answer that question would be, what do you value most? If the thing that drives you in your life is stuff and the pursuit of stuff, if it's money, if it's a relationship, if it's any of those things, your life's out of whack. Now again, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having things. But when that is my ultimate pursuit, when that is where my contentment and my joy and my satisfaction are found, and these things that are ultimately unfulfilling, it's taking my eyes off of Jesus, and it's keeping me from pursuing him the way that I ought to. For us as believers, the thing that drives our lives has got to be Jesus. 
He's got to be the one that we go to when we're hurting. We've got big decisions to make. We're seeking his will. Everything that we do, we do in the context of Jesus and living for God's glory. Being content in Christ means that he is the force that moves you in this life. The second question is this. Honestly, again, honestly, is Jesus enough for you? I was thinking about this. Life is so seasonal. You know, it's a roller coaster, and there are good days and there are hard days. But in those hard days, is Jesus enough for you? If you didn't have anything else, but all you had was Jesus, is that enough? Are you good with that? And on those days when you have all the stuff and everything's going so great, if Jesus asks you to follow after him and he's all you have, is, is that enough? Is Jesus enough for you? Don't ever forget, dear Christian, that were you to lose everything else, you still have Jesus, and he is enough. Fanny Crosby was a great American missionary and poet known for many popular hymns, including To God Be the Glory. And I came across this hymn that she wrote this week, and I just thought it was too good not to share. If you don't know her story, she was blinded at a young age, and there's some debate about whether there was an issue with a procedure that caused her to go blind or if that was something that was coming anyways. But I know for some of us, having to experience that at such a young age would be an easy time for us to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to take my ball and go home. But instead, for Fanny, she took her life and she decided to devote it to the Lord. And she wrote this. This hymn's called, Give Me Jesus. And I hope that for us as believers, this is our heart. She said, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But Christ's love abides forever, through eternal years the same. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption, pledge of endless life above. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Sweetest comfort of my soul, with the Savior watching o'er me, I can sing, though thunders roll. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. So a lot of us here together today, and I know we all come from different backgrounds, and some of us, we come in today, and honestly, we have a lot. And there are others of us that are here today, and we feel like we're just barely scraping by. But if we're here today, and we're in Christ, then we have Jesus. So church, let us be free from the love of money, the need and desire for things that don't fulfill. Let's be free from the love of money and covetousness. Instead, let us be content, satisfied, and sufficient in Jesus. He is enough.